This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today we've got a great show in store for you. This week we had a rut camp here in Ohio. We had Jacob Sklenner and Drew Emington come down to the house and hunt out of here and it's been a blast. They have been on deer consistently. Drew actually texted me about 10 minutes ago and had a giant at four yards. Didn't get a shot off but it didn't spook too hard and it seems like that deer is still around. So hopefully we'll have another kill update for you here in the next couple days. Jacob on the other hand, uh, day five of his hunt. He ended up putting an arrow in a beautiful hill country buck, and we thought it was a bad shot. He brought the footage back to the house. We reviewed it. We zoomed way in. We actually saw the deer fall over on camera. We went down and got him, took some good pictures, and had one heck of a night. So it's been awesome time to be in the woods. The cold front that hit was just a spark for deer movement. It's been a lot of fun. So today's episode is all about Jacob's buck and his journey down here in Ohio for a week, his lessons learned, the things he did right and wrong, and eventually the success that he had when we get into that story. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. I do think there's a lot to take away as far as rut tactics from this episode. So hope you enjoy it. Thank you once again for listening to today's show. Let's get right into it. All right. We're back today with Jacob Sklenner in person. Yeah. Jacob, thanks for hopping on, man. Absolutely. Yeah. How you feeling? Pretty jacked. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we, uh, Drug went out last night. That was a lot of fun. Had some medicine for breakfast here today. That was a uh, that was certainly great to have that immediate reward. Yeah, it was uh it was definitely a great weekend and a great day, great yeah. night. It was nice sitting up on top of that ridge. It's big wide open ridges up there and it's beautiful. You can see the stars buckling on the ground, hanging out with your buddies. A lot Dude, of fun. Just soaking it in too. Yeah. Like just listening to the crickets here and bucks in the background and stuff moving around like I mean, those are moments I'll never forget. Yeah, no doubt, man. So let's get into it a little bit. So uh, the last week and a half in Ohio, even before you got here, we had a pretty good cold front roll through. Mm -hmm. And I've been out chasing around Big 8 Point. I've talked about a bunch, but chasing that buck around and uh, bucks have been moving like crazy. Man, I had some awesome encounters myself, passed up some really good deer, passed up a 150-inch 10-point, yeah, which... Dude. To actually twice <laughs> so um seeing that on video was kind of nuts like yeah. i was like oh my god like this guy's passing on that deer right now like, yeah yeah he was a big i mean he's a fully mature big body buck he's just not the buck that i necessarily have put my mm -hmm. season towards so it was uh it was definitely one of those things where i don't know that's just the way it works sometimes i feel good with the decision i made though i mean he's he's still up there anyways mm -hmm. and next year i think that 10 is going to be He's got Boone and Crockett potential, oh, yeah. so I'm just letting him slide and trying not to just blow that out of the water, and that eight is eight or nine years old, mm -hmm. and so like to me, that's the ultimate chase, but mm -hmm. we're not going to make this about me too much. I just wanted to 
give a quick preface update. that with the fact that Ohio has been on fire. I mean, you mm-hmm. you timed the cold front perfectly. You actually showed up like the day after the cold front rolled in. And so let's get into it. Let's get into day one. So uh, you get out here and how day one go for you? So I busted out here in an afternoon and we haven't even met in person yet. And you were just like this property, this area, you know, I got a cam out there. You can check the cam, see what you see. And then you have scout your way in. And, um, there was really good bucks in the area. Like it was, it was evident from the tracks, but we had a lot of fresh rain beforehand. And so we were like the whole day removed from the rain. Essentially it stopped raining like three hours before I got there. You could see that a lot of the tracks in that area that I went and checked were severely washed out you know the scrape wasn't open at all and so you could kind of tell that they were weeks old and and i could tell that because there's fresh tracks in the area too so comparing to those but man there's some giant giant tracks there too so that buck was was doing exactly what you're saying but he must have shifted and that day was a lot of walking and scouting around um found a lot of really good stuff like a lot of scrapes that were starting to get worked a few like rut funnels and pinches and ended up setting in a spot that uh set for that same bedding but exiting a different area and i had a lone doe come in like kind of trotting and looking behind her and i thought like oh my gosh it's, it's gonna happen like day one like jake you're telling me like if you don't kill day one here you suck at hunting but <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh yeah i totally thought it was gonna happen but um i think a person actually bumped that buck that was probably with her but it was really cool man walking out seeing fresh scrapes and stuff and totally different terrain than i've ever been used to and man it just like the, the thing that i saw right away is like you have such a deep understanding for how they travel. You know, like a lot of the times it's not enough to know where they bed. You have to know exactly what trail that deer is going to choose depending on the day. You know, you could tell me their whole route to food and their whole route back from food. And, you know, who knows what happens when they start chasing does and stuff down there. Yeah. But that was really impressive. And, and when I started scouting it, I was seeing like you, you probably could have put on a map within a yard of their trail the whole way to and from their bed. And I walked in. It was I mean, that's where those tracks were. Unfortunately, they were old, but. Yeah, and, and that's the thing this time of year, too, is you'll get into certain pockets where there was a buck inhabiting that spot late October, mm-hmm. but he's on a hot doe, and he could be a mile or two away. But if you just continue to monitor those areas, like if you were here for another two weeks without filling a tag, mm-hmm. you can go back to those areas, and as soon as those scrape lines open back up, you're like, all right, he's back. Oh, yeah. I got You know, that's how I killed the grind buck was I went in, it was November 16th, and this area had been dead, but it held some really good bucks. And I go in, the big scrape in the bottom's open, and there was a big track laying in it, headed yep. towards bedding. And I was like, I got him. He's mm-hmm. he's going to die. And he came right out of the pipe that so, night. So you sat right on that scrape, or did you cut off between? I went. So I went. The scrape was about 400 yards away from bedding. And you know the area I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So they travel these big, long ridges. And he was traveling a logging road about mid-level. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just cut it off. That's, I just got closer. And then there's so many people that like, they're like, oh, hub scrape. And they'll sit for a week on a hub scrape and you know, they might kill yeah. a buck, but um, cutting that off is just so, so huge. And you also don't know what happens in between there. Like we've had bucks that, you know, they, they have that typical route. They travel nine out of 10 times. And like the day I killed, like I had a buck that was really nice, just for some reason, cut up a hill into a wide open this year, clear cut with yeah. no undergrowth. And we don't even know where he went. He never came out of that open area. So it's like crucial, you know, we talk about hubs being a concentration activity and obviously a bed is too. And the closer you can get to that, the better. And that was, that was my kill last year in Hill Country. You know, I, I did an evening sit and saw a giant track in it, saw a subordinate buck that was on does get kicked down that hill. And, uh, he wanted to go back up real bad, but he just wouldn't commit to it. Um, and I was like, that behavior makes a lot of sense to me. And seeing that track go up that hill, like the next day it was between bedding and that that scrape and yeah i just think it's crucial like you might not know every piece of the puzzle but the the closer you get to the certainty the area that you're certain of the better stance you have you know you you can't bump them out obviously you have to know your limitations but with the low deer density fresh signs a great thing to see it doesn't always mean you gotta hunt right over it yeah so so day one you saw that one doe Mm -hmm. and and you never see does. <laughs> no, we never see does here, which was yeah. kind of mind blowing to me. I was like, wow, I can't believe you saw a doe. But uh, so you ended up coming back here and mm-hmm. reformulated another game plan. And so day two, where was your head at? You're going into day two. Like, what are you thinking at this point? So day two, 
I was thinking that um, I need to get on some fresh tracks, and and um, we did a lot of talking. I mean, every night we talked strategy quite a bit, and and that was awesome. Just learn from you like that, but um, we talked a lot about how the lower pressure and the very low deer density changes a game plan. You know, back home in the hills, you sit a spot twice, like there is a deer that crosses your trail at night, almost wherever you go. You know, unless you're climbing up a cliff with a rope um, and sitting right on the edge, you know, there's almost always a deer that does that. And almost always does that deer and some others relocate because of it. So even if that buck doesn't cross your trail at night, you know, that, that's when the randomness happens is when they're chasing shit at night. You can't count on them not busting you. Well, around here, it's a little different. They have such long ranges at night, but they kind of circle back into areas. They go on these cycles, like two to three day cycles, it seems like. And you'll sit a spot and you'll have one deer that hits that cycle that day. And, you know, you can bust him out. And then the next day, another deer will be right in there in another, another shooter. But it's just because they're all moving so much. So, like, if you did this early season, you're, you're not going to have that same movement. You're not going to have a deer every day cycling into an area that you may want to shoot. And so, the second day was, all right, I have to get a feel for this fresh sign. And then I also have to kind of change to something I might not do back home, but kind of sit a pinch or a funnel. You know, like, sit in an area that concentrates these deer. And I know that one of the keys in Nebraska to my success was observing the actual deer and seeing what they're doing. Well, you know, you can't really glass here. And so what helped is just seeing how the deer behave. So like that doe gave me a hint and, um, you know, you were obviously giving me some amazing advice and, um, I ended up sitting in a really good pinch with a fresh scrape coming out of it. Um, that came from a major hub system and these deer were just super concentrated to walk down this land bridge with that fresh scrape there. I sat there and I actually had a, a decent little nine point. I don't know what he'd score. I'm not no score master, but hundred something like that maybe you know not a bad buck he came right in and and i whipped out my phone to try film some content and i spooked him off but you know i was there was no intention of killing that thing but it was cool you know it was like you can sit these pinches combined with fresh sign in a good enough proximity to bedding and you can get a shot at something yeah and so that morning i'd slept in because i'd been grinding after that that marsh monster yeah i slept in and, and went out that afternoon and then it was really cool to see man it was cool to see how the deer were cutting into bottoms and how they were riding ridges and then they were crossing over and stuff seeing those fresh tracks like nice bucks it it started to add a little bit of the puzzle pieces together you know, there was a bunch lacking because I, it was really hard to break me of like the severity of your ground scent and the pressure kind of thing we kind of did a whole 180 the next day and and completely new terrain you know it's hill country all the same but tops are completely different size the nature of the bottoms are completely different um, the amount of water available, the agriculture in the area, like everything changed. That was November 1st. And boy, dude, was that a freaking day for movement that morning. Oh my gosh. I mean, I saw four or five different bucks, one really good shooter, uh, that just wouldn't come in. I saw two does and we actually had some more experience with the does this week. Uh, you actually had those does cross by you another day. So much movement was centered around those does where, where normally all those deer would have funneled right to me. In that terrain feature I was sitting, they just followed that doe trail and, and they went wherever those does went. And we started seeing the importance of just a doe in the area, even if they aren't hot, the movement is so concentrated around them. Yeah. And the one thing I picked up on over the last five years down here, and I'm sure this is very similar to spot anywhere, is you get pockets of activity that heat up. And yep. you, you, like, for instance, the spot you hunted day three is 40 or 50 miles away from the spot you hunted day two and mm -hmm. day one. And so finding those pockets, and then if you're on a group hunt, if, you, if you're with somebody and they're like, hey, it's really hot down here and you're not seeing a lot of activity, it's not a bad idea to try to go get in the game down there. I'm mm -hmm. not saying, you know, you guys should hunt right on top of each other, but... You can play off each other You can pretty play well. off each other and you can share a lot of that ground and mm -hmm. you're probably going to have a lot more opportunity. And that's... 100%. That's pretty much the approach we took. It was like, hey, you know, we found a hot pocket. Let's get everybody down in that pocket of deer as much as we can mm -hmm. and just see if somebody can get in front of them. Um, but yeah, the, the thing I want to touch on there is when you first came out, I think one of the biggest... I mean, I'm going to speak for you a little bit here. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll ask you a question too, but how much do you feel like you learned about the sign and low density areas? Because I know that mm -hmm. when you first got here, you were very discouraged about a lack of sign compared mm -hmm. to Wisconsin. So what did you learn about that lack of sign? So, yeah. So what, what really concerned me 
is, you know, obviously in Wisconsin, higher deer density. I'm used to seeing a lot of sign. And I knew that there was going to be less sign. Um, but I wasn't seeing the fresh sign that I wanted to. Like, you know, you, every once in a while you see tracks. And tracks, like a track here is like a scrape in Wisconsin. Like, you know, their scrapes pop up quite a bit in, in the southwestern hill country. They mean a good amount. But um, a track is like like good. You, know, you knew exactly where that deer was the day before. And so when you did see fresh sign, it was a lot more vital to be in proximity to it. Um, and I saw that deer were repeating on scrapes a little more frequently than they would because, you know, they would just roam from hill from system to system in Wisconsin and make a new scrape every time where these deer were, were concentrating on movement, trying to get a doe to cross in, checking it a little bit more frequently. And one thing we noticed that was really crucial is we had deers pop by on cell cam and go right into a scrape and not work it. And so it wasn't enough to just look for fresh scrapes. You had to really understand how they were traveling and know that even if you saw that scrape that wasn't worked, that still might be a common crossing point for a deer. So it was relating it all back to terrain features. Any sign you could find was highly encouraging. We had no fresh rubs. I don't. I think I saw maybe one fresh rub this whole trip. Yeah, that's a huge difference. But it's just because these bucks are like they have their core areas. You know, they they aren't. They don't have to kick anything out. There's not two year olds encroaching on the big badass. You know. So I thought that was a huge learning curve. You know how to treat fresh sign, how important it is to have it, and how just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean there isn't a doe or a deer in the area. You know, we had some cameras that helped a bit with that, but it was more a lot of woodsmanship. And, you know, when I saw those two does, you saw them the next day. Um, and there was points where we thought we saw the same bucks. And, like, things like that where you're establishing, okay, they really are running the system this way. It's just a matter of are these deer going to cycle back within this trip? Are some more deer going to cycle back? And it was kind of like slowly crunching in that pattern. And it was funny because you identified an area that was going to be great day one. You know, I kept taking this approach where I need to keep on more fresh sits because, you know, my, my sense getting the area, I'm busting deer out. And um, I didn't think they were going to come back. And, and it really wasn't the case. Like you were, I mean, you identified the area I was going to kill day one. You told me exactly what I needed to do to get in there. And, you know, when I bumped a deer the first time I sat there, I just thought, like... Got discouraged a little yeah, bit. I yeah, thought, I thought it was over. I was like, oh, that spot's gone. Because, yeah. I mean, that's usually how it is in, in the hills. It's like they have... In the hills of southwest Wisconsin, it's like you have a lot of areas they can go. And once those does relocate, they relocate. And, and, and then the movement completely changes. Well, it's like a lot of times when you're bumping stuff, it's like a lone buck in a long search for a doe, you know? We've even seen cases where that specific buck came back after fully catching our scent and it was like it's just the nature of how they need to travel in this steep country yeah and that's where i was going to go with this after listening to you speak there is it's really a matter of the ruggedness of the terrain Mm -hmm. the more rugged the terrain is that you're in the easier it is to identify travel routes Mm -hmm. and you know not necessarily low because it widens out and they have some multiple trails they can use and it's harder to pinch up to a specific point but when Mm -hmm. they get up on these really high steep ridges and they're running in the morning with the thermals pulling up to to scent check for does down in the bottoms and in the bedding they only have one maybe two trails and then if you add any sort of terrain feature like you know it could be a a micro saddle or Mm -hmm. above a hog's back or even a bench, anything like that, well, now they only have one trail. There's mm-hmm. only going to be one trail over that in a lot of this rugged terrain. And so it's a matter of just finding the one that you think is going to have the most activity on it based on your doe groups. Mm-hmm. I think that you pretty much nailed that. I mean, it was, yeah, we had a little talk about what what I say to you because you were ready to shift. I mean, you were you came mm-hmm. down like a ping pong ball a little bit, which yep. I get because yep. I've... The reason that I've learned what I've learned down here over the past five years isn't really from my own experiences. It's from having buddies down here every year mm-hmm. and then feeding off of what they do. Like Ethan Eskew, uh, Drew Emmington's been down here for four years. I've had quite a few other buddies come Corey, down. Yeah. yeah. And they are all doing their own game. And then I can look at all of that and I'm like, well, this is what worked the best in mm-hmm. each situation. And this is how many occurrences we had where the thing that has just over the past eating me alive is we'll have a guy come down and I always get jacked up when somebody kills a deer. Like I get excited and I really want them to kill. And what will normally happen is even with my brother, we'll sit a spot and then we'll bounce the next day. And then that spot will light up. And so like what I've learned is 
if you at like, in my opinion, if, if you have five days and you're in a spot where you saw a buck or saw some active does, I would sit the same spot five days in a row, as long as your access isn't terrible. The amount of times, dude, that I got a, a text from you that said, hey, you want to puke right now? Yeah. It's just like the day before sat that spot and yeah. now there's bucks running rampant in it. And it, you know, I almost wouldn't change what I did like next year, a little different approach, right? But I almost wouldn't change what I did for a first year's approach because learning that stuff through experience, yeah. learning a tiny bit the hard way, but also like, man, I got to explore so much different country, yeah. different properties, different deer. You didn't know what was going to come because it's the rut, but you also like, you're dealing with different genetics every time, yeah. different does in the area. Is it this week? Is it next week kind of thing? And there was such a rich experience to be gained from that. And so, you know, if we kind of figured it out in the end, or I mean, you had it figured out, but like I kind of came to the conclusion in the end and um, I still got to have a lot of really exciting failure. I had a lot of really exciting close encounters. I got to pass on a bunch of deer and that's like exactly how I want a trip to go. Like I want it to be the last day. Like we're recording this in the morning after we just dragged out and quartered up that deer. You know, I got to leave right after this, but that, I mean, that's perfect timing to be able to, you know, if I kill that deer day one, I lose out on four or five more days of adventure. Yeah. And, and the learning experience. And that's oh, yeah, the biggest dude. thing. If I look at my Indiana trip this year, Kentucky or anything else, it's like, you know, I could have killed day two in Kentucky, but I wouldn't have learned nearly as much as I've learned now through being down there twice mm-hmm. on five day hunts. And Indiana's the same way. I had an encounter the second to last day. And then Corey had an encounter the last day. And if we would have killed early, we just wouldn't have learned what we learned about pockets of deer and genetics and, you know, their travel routes in that specific area because it's not as rugged and all these different things. So I think there's something to that for sure. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's get into the, the day of the kill. Yeah. So you wake up, where's your head at right off the bat? So, um, I'd sat this, this spot two days before. Yeah. Two days before. Yeah. And um, I had got in there 40 minutes before light. And the last thing I needed to do was clip my quiver to my bag so I can get an arrow quick if I needed to. And I did that clip. And then what was definitely a three-year-old or older deer blew at me and ran the whole way down this giant ridge. And nothing came in that day. So I was like, great. You know, that's my one opportunity. We sat till 1230. Did a lot of scouting that afternoon. But I just thought like, hey, all those deer were working up the ridge. And that first mature one that was coming up, busted all the way back down like the, the the movement shut off and you know they could come from another direction they could come from breaking off another ridge point work the whole top around and come to me but it was just that morning movement was just so consistent so i was like man i can't believe i i screwed that up and so you know i did my old habit crap went to another property passed on some good deer but i got those you want to puke text again and uh that morning just lit up in that spot and i was like I was like, damn it, like I got one more day, maybe another morning, like we're going to get consistent here. We're going to sit that same spot. And so my head going into that day was get in there freaking early. Like I'm not busting out a deer. I'm sitting in that stand. I'm not moving a dang muscle, you know, once I get there, because there, there are a few times at night that deer would bust you from hundred yards silhouetted. You have no idea they're there. You, They can see you. You can't see them. You know, they can hear a lot better than you can. So it's like, I needed to get in there, get in there early, get set. And if anything was going to come by me earlier than I could shoot it, I need to have it pass by cleanly. And so I got in there actually like an hour and 15 before light. Um, with <laughs> the pace up that ridge was insane too. Yeah. So you had to, let's get into this quite a bit. So you had to wake up at what? 2.30. 2.30. You yeah. woke up at 2.30 to drive an hour and a half mm-hmm. to hike 1.3 miles. Point, yeah into a spot yeah and i i mean with a stand and bag and bow yeah. and all that and i the camera equipment adds up too but i busted it man and, and the first the first portion of that access is like you Tough. go you got you go 20 yards you cross a creek and you're like 20 yards in and then you uh you're 400 vertical real quick yeah you know and so that was that was brutal but like we, we had we feed off each other's energy and it was just like dude i'm not i'm, I'm being a wimp like i just gotta bust it and you know, that hill became a challenge and it became like fun, you know, like talking to yourself, like, you know, I could sit here and take a break and then that deer is going to come in in the time it took me to take this break. You know, it's going to be that last motion that kills me. I just, I set some record time going up that hill 
And then, you know, when you get to the spot, clear out the leaves at the bottom, go real slow, you know, make your setup good and clean and quiet. That, and it worked out great. But went the whole morning without, wait, whole morning. Usually the movement, they were up there by 8, 8.30. I'm looking at my, my phone, it's 8 o'clock. And the, the whole time I'm here, I'm standing up. I have the tree between me and the deer movement to to cover my silhouette a little bit. And I'm standing with my shoulder to the tree, so I'm kind of like perpendicular or perpendicular to it. So I'm not like a silhouetted. And I'm having my bow in hand the whole time. And that was until 9 a.m. So that was 6.30, way before light, staying ready just in case, because it's the position I'm going to be in when it gets light enough out. And standing that way at an awkward angle for, for what, two and a half hours straight. And um, I look at my phone, it's like 9.05, and I'm like, oh, God, like it didn't happen today. I was like, we were texting, trying to figure out what's going on. The next morning, I really wanted to sit that spot again. It was going to be a risky wind. Uh, picked out another tree that would work for it. And right around the time that I was starting to think about the next morning, I actually had a buck come up that trail on that steep edge to work in that textbook, right? Like coming right to me. It gets this patch of greenbrier. And this trail doesn't touch the greenbrier, right? But if he were to go off of that trail, he's in it like crazy, right? So before he reaches that patch that starts, he cuts into open hardwoods and goes straight up the vertical hill and goes into a wide open clear cut. And it's like, the shooter was, oh my God, I was like, the shooter's just reading the script. Yeah. There's no does over there. There's, There's nothing going on over there. And we know for a fact there was a hot doe where I was the day before. So it was just like, exactly what you wanted to happen and then just 180 you know and so it was a little bit demoralizing and um i was like dude i'm we seen movement here i was like that's the one i counted on but i'm sitting here all day you know like it's just time to buckle in and stay ready so facing that direction and, and there are chipmunks and squirrels so, just making so real quick though go ahead uh the guys that walked in oh, yeah. that morning Bring I totally me. forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, talk about that real quick. So I get there an hour. I'm at the base of my tree. I get all my sticks set up. I get my stand set up and put my gear on. And I see over the other ridge, upwind of me at about 180, 150 yards, something like that. These guys crest this ridge. And I shot a text. And we only get signal way on the tops here. So I shot a text to Jake. I'm like, hey, was your spot like busted or something? Like, did they come in and plow your tree again? Did you have to relocate? And th- then a text loaded from you saying that like, hey, you were going to stay at home, you know, take care of the important stuff to your family for the for the morning. And I was like, oh no. I was like, what's going on? I'm like, did Drew go to another property? Like what's happening here? And it's just two guys making all the racket in the world, bright white shining down headlamps into the bottom where these deer are coming from. And I'm like, oh God. And so I'm up on my four stick with my flashlight on strobe mode. And, you know, I'm turning it to red light. I'm flashing it in different patterns just so they can see me. And they just look at me, come 30 yards closer and set up. And I'm like, God, like upwind too. But I knew their scent trail would just miss me. You know, it's rut. These guys are doing the same thing I'm doing. Unfortunately, they're pretty close. But I've had guys set up within 60 yards and still have movement in in the higher pressured areas of Wisconsin. So it's like, that's something you're probably not used to in any, any bit at all like you would expect someone to to relocate but i was like you know it's it's rut like this can definitely still happen yeah that was i mean it was a little discouraging but it was just like we talked about this too it's like it's out of your control at this point you know it's too late to make another move the movement's going to happen this morning like i know these deer are coming up this point they cannot cross them b- before they get to me so it was like that's out of my control i need to take care of what i can and be ready for this deer to come how i plan and that one in the morning did exactly what he was supposed to do. He just cut off early. And so, you know, he wouldn't have crossed that scent trail until about 10 yards after I shot him. And so it was like, this can still happen. I need to stay ready. And these people were doing some weird rattling sequences and stuff throughout the morning. After that buck came in the early morning, um, they, they did some rattling. And I was just like, God, like, I don't know. I, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And and so I was... um was frustrated by it but i also knew that there was only one direction those deer could come from and that's the 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 lesser section of area like there's a lot more to their downwind side that has a lot more travel corridors than 
their upwind side. So mm-hmm. I was like, if something, if they rattle, like it's very possible something just smells them and comes on over to me, you know, because they would smell them downwind from the trail that leads to me. And so I stayed ready. I actually recorded a little video around like 1030 of them rattling again. And, and you probably can't hear it on my audio, but um, because they were just tickling, tickling tines. And I was like, God, I was like another crappy rattling sequence. And I'm staring this whole time back at that direction that buck came from. Because I'm like, he's going to bust out that clear cut at some point. So I'm staring the whole time back that way. And all of a sudden, between all the chipmunks and you get your squirrels and the and like just the quick patterns that are super loud, I heard one with like some consistency. And that was probably 10 minutes after they rattled. And I was like, oh boy, like that might be a deer. So I turn around, I, I go to swivel my camera. I turn it left and my camera like unthreads from its from its mount. So it's like wobbling around there. It's just hanging onto that mount. And I see this rack crest that trail. And I think what had happened is the buck had, there are two things that could have happened. That buck either heard the echo of that rattle and thought it was on my ridge. But I think what happened is he originally came into that rattle, got downwind of them. And he was still, he was still fired up, but um, he was not going into them. And so he rounded that corner going the opposite direction. Like they might, you know, say they bet up top. They would go that same route if they're going back down to bedding. Yeah. And so I figured that buck came into that activity. He's like, there's plenty of area I can run here. There's plenty of does that crossed it yesterday. Like, I'm going to run this instead. And that led him right to me. And so, you know, 180 yards from them, bumping off the pressure, he starts going away from them pretty good. And he's had a good clip coming right at me. And so I have to, I have to turn around in my stand. I have to make a 180, get that camera on, try to get that camera in the right position while it's loose and that was that was kind of terrifying like i was i really didn't want to get another time that i shot a deer and it wasn't on camera despite all the efforts but i couldn't get my gopro on for a second angle and i was like this is gonna be good enough i remember clipping on my release and then thinking that camera ain't right and i gave it one more nudge i got unclipped gave it one more nudge and then he's at 30 yards walking in and i'm on plane with this deer i'm maybe five feet of elevation a little bit higher than him and I'm like, oh no! And, and he's coming through, what was what maple saplings or something like that? Yeah, just maple. Yeah, so like maple saplings that are maybe an inch to two inch in diameter, and so he can see real clearly, and he's looking straight at me. And so I'm clipped on. I do just the slowest draw you could imagine. I wait for him to kind of start glancing down, and I just do the slowest draw you can imagine. And at one point, about three quarters of the way through my draw, he looked up at me real hard. I just, it's all in slow-mo. This happened yeah. so fast, but he looked at me real hard. I was like, oh my God, it's over. But then he put his head down. He kept coming. So I was like, all right. And uh, I got to full draw. I stopped him. He took one step beyond the window I wanted and part of his vital recovered by a, by a by one of them saplings and turned his front legs to me just a little bit. And I thought he was like a hard quartering to angle. And so I, I didn't want to skip off of that scapula. Like at a broadside angle, I'm sure I can go straight through that scapula. And I've done it many times with my setup. But when that's kind of angled towards you, you get the chance of deflection and then you can hit ribs and deflect and all sorts of stuff. And so I had, I'd put it on there to start and I just, I backed my pin off a little bit left. And um, I let it go and worse on yet, I didn't have my stabilizer, long story, but lost it the day before. And, uh, you know, we had shot to make sure the bow was shooting well, and it was, and, and everything was great with that. But that little bit of dampening on that weight kind of just helps your follow through a little bit. And so I, I touched off that shot. I remember squeezing, but not focusing like I would on a target because I was in a rush. And I just remember a tiny twitch to your left where you're like, when we did this the night before, I was like, that shot's going to be left. Like before we even saw where it went, I was like, that's going to be an inch left and an inch high. And sure enough, sure enough, it was. Same thing here, man. I was like, I touched that even farther left and I was already aiming left. Yeah. And that worried me quite a bit. So I was excited after this shot, but I was sobered very quickly because I was like, I think I got him in guts. I think I got him liver to guts. And I was like, dang it. Like right away, touched off the shot, went a little, went a little left, I believe. And I remember not having the super confidence right away that, oh, I drilled him double lung. You know, he's going to die in a second. And so I'm really keenly watching this deer walk, like, goes for a bit of a run, starts trotting off. And a lot of these times with these cut on contact broadheads that I use, I mean, I use a G5 Montec and you get this with single bevels a lot and stuff like that too. 
they don't know their hit. Like if you don't crack a rib, you don't bust through a rib and you get that clean pass through in the lungs, they don't know where they're hit. And, and I've had deer just start walking in 30 yards at tip. So this deer did a bit of a loop. I started walking, but I noticed like he was still perking up and looking around and um, he wasn't hunched or anything like a gut shot typically is. So he was still like kind of in rut mode, you know, he was still chasing something. And so right around the time I started losing sight of him, um, I was like, I could get this deer to come back in for another shot. So I reached for my arrows. I think he saw some of that movement, took a bit of a trot on the video and I grunted a couple times and he perked up, saw some interest in that and started walking toward me. And he made about three steps toward me, crossed behind some big whites. And, um, and then I just stopped hearing him and I just lost sight of his rack. And I was like, what's going on? And I, I grunted again and nothing. And I'm like, all right. So I, I fix that camera. I get it to thread on correctly. And I just stand there for a good five minutes. You know, I talk a little bit, but I'm really, really listening. And all that commotion got those chipmunks to shut up. You know, you can hear them popping in the background, making their making their calls and stuff. But they aren't they aren't rustling leaves really. And so I'm listening. I don't hear anything. You know, I got tinnitus, so it's really easy for me to miss something. I got that constant ringing in my ears. So it's like, you know, I could miss this movement, or he could be slipping, but he'd be slipping down that drainage, you know. And that's a pretty loud endeavor right there. And so, um, lost sight of him. Did my due diligence, listening as much as I could. Um, immediately trying to explain what my thought process was with the shot, what I saw him do. Because, you know, that video, I don't know what I captured on video. I uh, I pull up my phone. I, I trace the exact route I shot him, where he went to. I uh, I take pictures of the last tray I saw him at. I pull up that rangefinder feature in Onyx and my rangefinder. I rangefind the last tray I saw him at. I'm like 85 yards. I'm going to drop a pin right where I last saw him. You know, we don't find blood. We pick up the trail there, right? And so... Those are some strategies that really, really help you. I mean, sometimes you use these broadheads that kill the deer right away, but you don't get them to open up right away. And so um, I love shooting that kind of stuff, but it could be a challenge if you don't remember anything about the moment. You just let your emotions take over. And so, um, you know, I really forcefully made sure I did that. And then um, I could see the arrow in the ground, you know, sticking in the ground. So I was like, we'll give it some time. I called you right away. And I knew you were probably getting dressed as we spoke. And uh, I just had one bar and I gave you a call and I told you I'd shot the buck and then it cut out. And I was trying to explain that, like, I think it might've been a far back shot. It cut out. I knew I had to work up the ridge a tiny bit to get more signal. So very slowly listening the whole time, packed the stuff up, got down from the stand, left the stand in the tree and um, slipped to that arrow and pausing every three steps, hearing nothing, you know? And so I'm pausing at that arrow and dude, gut splatter, a deep red on the arrow, not coated, but, but a deep red film over it. So it looked like maybe liver, but definitely exited guts. You got particles everywhere. Smells exactly like guts. Like, I mean, if you, if you tip that knife too far in when you're, when you're gutting a deer, it smelled exactly like that, you know? And so I was like, I was like, dang it, like guts. But I wasn't, I was very upset that I wounded the deer, right? I was very upset that at that time I thought, is a gut shot, right? But I knew I had taken the time and I'd listened and we it goes back to that's now out of my control. What can I control? You know, and I can control my emotional reaction. I can control how careful I am getting in out of this woods right now. And so I got as much film as I could, got pictures of the arrow, stuck the arrow vertically up in there so we could find it again, even though it wasn't gonna be hard for us. And um just recorded my thoughts and um got back up to that signal, made the call. You actually probably had to turn around in the vehicle and, and go back. But it's like, hey, we need to give this deer some time. Good news is, I think I know exactly where he bedded. And, um, you know, we're going to come back. But uh, we, we were going to come back at night. And we actually went back and I whipped it down that mountain with all my gear. Mountain, hill, technically. But whipped it down that hill with all my gear. Got back here. And then we reviewed the footage. And, you know, frame by frame, seeing that shot, we saw what really happened was, is he turned his shoulders on that last, that last step I didn't want him to take, but not the rest of his body. So I backed it off a little bit, but um, it was still a little bit more broadside of an angle than I had anticipated. So that was good. We saw that the shot was likely clipping an artery. We saw that there was potential for maybe, maybe a back end of a lung, mm -hmm. um, definitely liver, and, um, and certainly guts on the exit. And we, we saw it adding up. You know, we saw what, 
all the clues that were found beforehand adding up. So that film's great, but we were still at the same square pretty much when we reviewed that shot. We were still at the same square based on those observations. So like if you're a guy that doesn't film, all those things I just talked about, like taking a video on your phone, taking a picture, recording the sounds you hear when you hear them, recording the smells, the sights, all that stuff, that is almost as good as filming in the moment because you're going to gain a lot of knowledge based on that. And that's all things a tracker would ask you. And so I, um, we went to reviewing him walking off and, um, particularly where we last saw him and we did two things there. We, we looked at the audio first. So loud ass grunt, Jake's here with his, with his cans on getting absolutely eardrums destroyed. And he's got that video, that audio cranked up all the way. And he's like, dude, I don't hear him step after that last grunt. Like I hear him come toward you and then just stop. And, um, you know, it could be him betting or whatever. And so we were like, okay, like that's, that's a really good sign. And we listened to the audio afterward when I'm whispering to the camera and everything, nothing in the background. There's one point that chipmunks get up, but I can see the chipmunks from the tree and I call it out on video that those are chipmunks. And so, um, you know, we were like that deer's there right now. We think that deer's there, you know, maybe he busted out when you're walking away, but, but we have a really good idea of where that deer is. And, um, then we went to video and, um, we saw him round those big oaks. We saw him take a couple steps forward after that first grunt. And then we could make out that rack just doing like, if you could picture the Titanic splitting in half and capsizing that kind of like upward and downward motion, that rotating motion, that rack just turned over and we're like, Oh my God, he dropped on camera. Like he was right there. We went from um, Drew finishing out your hunt. We're going to come back and have dinner. We'll go out at night to, you know, we should probably get after this deer right now. We did some stuff and then we busted out there. And um, sure enough, man, that deer was, we didn't look for blood at all. We picked up the arrow and we walked straight to that tree and he was 10 yards below it, right where we saw him tip. Yeah. He, he may have, he didn't roll or anything, but like he was in a little ditch just where we couldn't see the body if we were up in that tree. And, you know, it took us probably 20 seconds to find him. And in reality, he died 30 seconds after that shot at the most. And that was cool. And it ended up being probably, definitely like that artery, which mm-hmm. is why he died so quickly. Caught some of that back lung, destroyed the liver, like wide open on the liver through the meat of it, yeah, which is nice. And then guts on the exit. It was just one of those scenarios, like a little more care with that shot if I have my stabilizer on and if I... And I recognize the position of that deer a little bit better than my snap decision. Um, that's a very different story, but a little bit of luck involved too with catching that uh, that artery. Because if he bumps out of that bed, if he decides not to bed with a one lung, liver, and gut, he could go a very, very long way. Especially when he's working downhill. That's, that's essentially how we got to him. That drag was fun. Yeah, way to pull him. What probably at least a hundred feet of elevation up. Yeah. You know. It's, yeah. A couple hundred little bit yards, of carrying. 100 feet elevation. Yeah, <laughs> a little tiny bit, bit of carrying. Then of we carrying. saw the ticks on him. Yeah. yeah, he was loaded up pretty good. But yeah, that was awesome, man. It was uh, it was exciting. He was right where we saw him go down. Yeah. You know, it was really cool to see that. And we went up on top of that ridge with him and hung out for, what, about an hour. I mean, we Dude, were there was, for a while. It was That was cool. a special moment, Yeah, you know, and like there were times that we just sat in silence. It wasn't like, a, hey, let's just listen right now. It was just like soaking in that moment like an like a organic kind of thing i was so jacked to have that deer man but like seeing him being my second out of state trip ever and being with some i mean you're an awesome guy like being with you and drew just some people i really respect and and i consider now some very very great friends and just taking in what happened this last week you know the grinding that i went through and we went through learning so much stuff about um just how to be a good man from you really like seeing how you are with your family just seeing how you're just a hard worker and what you see publicly is exactly what you get with you and and you aren't beating around the bush about anything and um pun intended yeah right right and so like to just to just sit there and be very appreciative of that kill but I didn't need to hoot and holler in the moment because like just the gravity of what we just went through just hit me, hit me so hard. And, and I'm a guy that I'm never short on words. You know, I, I'm a talkative dude and I usually have something to say about everything, unfortunately, but I just, I had no words in that moment. You know, I don't want it to look like I was disappointed in that video, but 
you know, I had some deep stuff hit me and, and that just meant like the world to me to have you guys there to go through that with you and to see how much you guys were jacked up to, to be on that deer for Drew to potentially sacrifice another morning he could hunt to just be there and do some hard work too. Like he wasn't just doing a leisurely activity there, screwing around and, and you know, you guys are busting your ass, like helping drag that deer. God, like it just means the world to me to, to one, be welcome into your world, your favorite places to go in the first place, but see the care that you take into that and the way that you, you know, prioritize your friends and family and, and learning a lot of lessons from you about being a good man and deer hunter at the same time. Like that just, that deer means so much more to me than just the antlers and that body on the ground. And that was just the symbol and those moments were just the culmination of all of this learning and all this experience. And it, it just, it just made me feel that there's a lot more to celebrate here than this deer. You know, I just had to sit in those moments and listen to the crickets for a little bit. And dude, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate every single thing that happened this week. It's just, it's an honor to be your friend. You know, it's an honor to be here. Deer or not, I was having a blast. And um, those moments that we captured and, and those memories I have are just more valuable than anything you could ever put a price tag on. Yeah, and likewise, man. And I, I think that's a part of this whole thing is surrounding yourself by <clears throat> by just good people and like-minded people. And I think that we've mm-hmm. we've all done a really good job of that. Um, and it was it was really an awesome experience. I was I was jacked up for you. I'm not <laughs> gonna lie. I was going into the last day, in my stomach. I started to get a pit a little bit, and I was like, man, really? I just yeah, I just I want I want people to have success way more than I want to have success. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, man. And that's yeah, and it's just like. I don't know. To to see that happen, you know, this is you're the third buddy that has came down to the house and killed a buck in November. And that's pretty well, Drew killed his on Halloween, but mm-hmm. so number three, so it's uh it's a lot of fun. You Dude, know, it is. We we have a lot of fun doing this and I hope that anybody listening to this at some point you get to go spend a deer camp with your buddies because oh, it yeah. is it's a lot of fun. Um so as a new Ohio hunter, like first time down here. For anybody that hasn't stepped foot in the state before, that's coming down over the next couple of weeks to chase bucks during the rut. What are just like a couple tips that you have that you picked up down here? Just quick tips that mm-hmm. that will help them out a little bit. Yes, there's there's two approaches, and and one of them is a little bit better than the other. If you want to get a kill, um, the one I took right away was just bouncing, learning multiple different properties. That added to the experience, but a kill is pretty great experience too, right? Yeah. And so like, if you find deer movement, you find hot sign, you find it happening on multiple days, sit it, you know, and sit it all day. Take your cat naps two to four um, if you have to. But um, it is worth it to be in that tree that that movement is surrounding on, whether it's happening one every three or four or whatever amount of days you're out there. But once you get certain of that deer movement working through there, it's going to happen. You just need to take care of the things you can get there early, get there quiet. Don't be moved around. Don't be rapping on the little Debbies, you know, during prime time, like sit there, take your time, pay attention to the sign. And when you find what you need to find, hold that confidence and, and, and sit there and, and, you know, take the little victories as you go. Cause there might be, if you're in a low density area, like you might not see a deer for a few days, but when that deer comes in that situation that you are very well prepared for, it w- it's pretty awesome. Like it works out great. And even, even on this hunt, like this was not the situation I planned for. I did not plan for a deer to come from that direction. Um, I ranged everywhere to make sure, you know, just in case, but like, it's the rut, man, it happens, you know? And so while you may be like, I'm seeing pictures or sign or whatever, that's like this morning movement, stay there, be ready and, and just enjoy the disconnection, enjoy being out in nature and um, enjoy the time with friends and, and take your experience away from that. And it's kind of like, we, we even talked to this before I killed. It's like those guys that are in it for the experience and don't care about the inches end up getting them and, and end up getting the kills and end up getting the inches because they're just thankful and engrossed in that experience. And so I would just say your time with your buddies is limited. Um, your time in the stand is limited. If you get confidence, sit in the area. Don't think it's a bad trip if you start not seeing stuff. But keep that confidence and enjoy your ability to do this with your friends and um you know you'll find success for sure if you're doing that yeah i like that one thing i'd add is 
from my experience down here, and I'm far from the most experienced hunter or Ohio hunter or rut hunter, but from just running a bunch of cameras over the past few years, the 10 to 2 time frame is hands down the best four hours of movement all day. Mm-hmm. His and deer was shot at 1040, by the way. 1040, exactly. And so a lot of people are getting down around 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Well, the big deer, a lot of times, especially in the hills, are waiting for the does to bed down. They're waiting for the sun to hit the shaded ridges for the thermals to pull up. And that's when they want to start running the high part of those ridges, scent checking mm-hmm. for does. So that 10 to 2 is just an awesome time to be in the woods. But but like you said, can happen any minute of the day. I just think that for me, if I spend a day in the woods right now, I'm just spending all day in the woods. Or mm-hmm. if I say I have to pick and choose, well, I honestly, I would pick and choose probably morning to two or 10 to two if I had to choose. Yeah. You know, that's just from what I've seen, that's the time that the movement is happening down here. So yeah. And if, and if you have, if you're one of those guys that can't sit in a tree consistently like that, maybe shift hundred yards, you know, you know, do something that gives you a little bit more confidence if you have to, but, but like we're saying, it can happen any time of the day. And and that 10 to two is, is a fantastic time frame. Um, There's also a lot of ground they have to cover from food to bed. And so it takes time for those does to get food to bed. You know, it, it's a lot different than less severe hills. It's a lot different than higher deer density areas because you have stuff bumping stuff everywhere, um, like all along the way up. But that 10 to 2 in this steep terrain where they got to work some distance, they let those does settle in, and then they get moving, you know, it, it's pretty magical. And And actually we saw, like, if you run into a doe at that time, like if a buck runs into a doe and she kicks up, it's chaos the rest of the day. Yeah. You know, it's like if they can't find a doe, they're running that 10 to two real hard. Um, and if, but if she decides to get up and run, you know, stay strapped, man, it's going to happen. No doubt. Well, Hey man, this has been a great podcast. Thanks for, uh, coming down and spending the week down here at the house and hunting with me. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have to do it next year. For sure, man, dude, it's, it's been an honor. It's been a experience unlike any other. And, and I cannot, possibly express how much i appreciate it yeah well yeah well i appreciate you as well man it's been a good time but uh where can everybody find out more about you and then see this hunt the whole thing was on film so so yeah so um yeah i got shot and everything on film so um yeah it's gonna be uh the wild calling uh i got the youtube page uh wild calling outdoors on instagram the wild calling on facebook and you'll if you keep up with the instagram and facebook you'll see posts rolling in about it and you'll see when this video gets released um, but I'm basically going to get back home and, uh, if I don't have time to hunt after work, which is probably what's the case at this daily, daily savings time, I'm going to be hardcore editing footage for this. So I'm, I really would like to get this out within the next week or two here. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time. <laughs>